Happy Sabbath, everyone. The message for today is entitled, Timeline to Eternity. Timeline to Eternity. And our life is governed by time. Isn't it? And God's plan of salvation is governed by time. Amen? Time is very important to God. At the very creation, God spoke of creation in the element of time. For the evening and the morning was the first day, first day of creation. The second day, the evening and the morning was the second day. Amen? And that continued to the end of the story of creation where it says, on the sixth day, the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Amen? But God did something in the story of, cre or in the act of creation, that he brought science into the picture of creation. Did you know that? That science has to be in harmony with the Bible, or true science. You see, if we take a look at the fourth day of creation, God created what? The stars, and the sun, and the moon. And it said those would be for times, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. So God had ordained creation with the element of time. And when God created man, God created man that man should live eternally. Amen? Because he gave man the tree of life. And if man had obeyed God, man would have continued to live through this timeline that is undefined, we cannot explain it. For man, there would not have been a plan of salvation. Amen? But because of man's sin, God had to put plan B into effect. Plan A, man would live eternally, sinless. Plan B, man has sinned. So God has to put the plan of salvation in place to rescue man from sin that he can once again be recreated in the image of God that he can then live eternally. Amen? And so for the last 6,000 years, God has been working on the plan of salvation. Amen? For the last 6,000 years, God has been working on the plan of salvation. Amen. And God did not want man to be ignorant of the plan of salvation. That God had put types in place, prophecies in place, that as we follow them, as we look forward with well-defined time, time that's well marked out, and it was given to us in a system of worship God had given to the children of Israel. It marked our time. And then it was given to us in the prophecies of Daniel, God marked our time. So that as we go through this life, we can look forward to a definite end. Amen? And what is that end? Eternal life, the second, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? But because God had marked us time for us through the religious system of worship, definitive time, and through the prophecies of Daniel, we know exactly where we are to the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Jews should have known through the sacrificial system when Jesus was going to come. Amen? So let us not be like the Jews of first century. Let us be those who are knowledgeable, have understanding, and wisdom of the time that we're living in. That we can prepare ourselves and tell others about the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? So today we're going to be taking a look at three timelines. And we're going to merge the timelines. And then we're going to see how close we are to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now the Bible warns us, we know not the hour, nor the day of his coming. But I'll tell you what. I would not know the exact time I'm getting into Montreal on my trip. But as I progress along the way and I see the signs through Belleville and then through the, the different towns along the way, and I get to, um, how do you call this place? The Kingston. 
and I continue on, I know how close I am to my destination. Amen? So I may not know the exact time of my arrival, but by the grace of God, as I mark, as I, as I, as I observe the landmarks, I know I'm on my way to Montreal. Amen? So but before we open up the word of God, let's bow our heads in prayer. Eternal Father God, we just want to thank you for this time. We thank you, dear God, that we can supplicate your throne of grace to seek the wisdom that is from on high, the knowledge that is in your book, and an understanding of the time that we are living in. I kindly ask that you hide me behind the cross. Let every heart be opened. Use me, I pray, dear God. Kindly forgive me of my sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God had declared to Adam and Eve and to the onlooking universe that sin would be destroyed. Satan would be destroyed. And that a new earth was going to be created, recreated. Now, I do a lot of work on the internet. And some of the information I search and I share, I send it out there with the confidence that all of it is so well encrypted by the people who are responsible for the site I'm using that my message is going to get there, no one is going to be able to um, intercept it, and I understand the financial transactions I'm dealing with. Amen? So it's called encryption. That myself and the recipient are the only two people that should be able to have access to that information. So we're going to take a look at the first timeline, where God had encrypted time when God set up the sanctuary service. Now remember that when man sinned, that man was separated from God. Let me see if this side. Could, can I use this instead, please? Okay, can you hear me? Okay. So, as a result of sin, man was separated from God. And God had a plan whereby man was going to come back into a right relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Now, we know that the Apostle John says that Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it means before the creation of the world, God had marked a time for the salvation of men. And not that God only mark our time, but Christ Jesus was knowledgeable of that time in, the, in that time in God's work in the salvation of man. So we're going to take a look at a couple of timelines today. First timeline. We're going to take a look at the sanctuary service. And the sanctuary service in there is encrypted a timeline. And God gave the ceremonial service to Moses. And in the ceremonial service there were feasts. And then there were the sacrifices. And the very first sacrifice was the Passover. And after the, uh, if, if we can bear in mind the sanctuary service, there was the Passover and the altar of bread offering. And following the sacrifice, there was the labor. And following the labor, as we move into the, the tabernacle, there was the holy place, the most holy place. And so there was a ceremony that was carried on during the course of the year that involved the altar for an offering, the labor, and the holy place. Every day of the year for, for, for the Jewish time period. And then once a year was the day of atonement in the most holy place. Well, when you look at it as just a service or a ceremony that God had given to the children of Israel. But as we search the deep things of Scripture, God had already marked the time for the salvation of mankind. So on the Passover, okay, so on the Passover here, that was the first feast of the year. Now, the, the Jews had two calendars. One was a religious calendar, and that is what the, the, the Jews used as they observed these feasts. And then there was the regular calendar that followed that, that by which they initiated contracts and marriages and life went on. So the very first past feast that God had ordained was on the 14th day of the first month of the religious year that is known as Nisan. I want us to remember these days. It's fascinating. 
The second feast began immediately after the 14th day of the first month, which we know as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that was for seven days. But, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread went from the 15th day of the first month, Nisan, to the 21st day of the first month, Nisan. So it was seven days the feast was observed. But, on the 16th day was a day, it was not a feast, that it was an offering, but it had great ramifications in the plan of salvation. And that was called the offering of first fruits. You see, in the springtime was the barley harvest. And before a sickle could have been put into the barley harvest, when the, the, the fruit was ripe to be harvested, what God had asked of the Israelites is that they're going to take a, a sheaf of, the, of, of the, the, the barley harvest, bring it into the temple to the priest, and at the close of the 15th day, that is in the evening, that he was supposed to wave it before the Lord. And they're asking God for a bountiful harvest. Amen? So we may look at it as just an offering, but it had great meaning in the plan of salvation. Amen? Then the second, so the, the next great feast was a feast of weeks. Now the feast of weeks was occurred on the third day of, oh sorry, that not, should not be the seventh month, that should be the third month. The third, it was 50 days after the start of the 11th bread. So that should be the third day of the seventh month, and that was 50 days after the feast of the start of 11 bread. Nice, neatly laid out time. So those were the feasts of the spring. Let's take a look at the feast of the fall. Autumn feast, time went to eternity. Now, on the first day of the month, of the seventh month, which is known as Tishri, there was the feast of trumpets. Now the feast of trumpets, the trumpets were proclaimed for 10 days. And that pointed to the feast on the day of atonement, which is the 10th day of the seventh month. So the trumpets were sung for those, that time period to warn the Israelites of the coming of the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the day on which God was going to judge the children of Israel through the, through the ministry of the high priest in the morning most holy place of the sanctuary. So we look at the dates. We look at the time. They're just sermons. But let's continue on. Let's then take a look at the second timeline. So the very first timeline in God's plan of salvation that has been marked out for mankind, we find it in the ceremonial service. Let's take a look at the next one. We find it in prophecy. Now, now that second one, if we go to Daniel chapter 2, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar was such that it did not give us the, a definite date on when these events were going to occur, the rise and fall of kingdoms. But as we look back into history, as we look back into history, we see how that dream was fulfilled. But I want to show you where God was going to now marry the ceremonial service with prophecy. So that ceremonial service we just looked at, the spring and autumn feast, God is going to marry that service in the prophecy of the book of Daniel. Amen? Yeah. So in the book of Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. And he said this dream was, the, it was the image of a man... The head was of pure gold, the arms and chest of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. Well, in our understanding, on our correct understanding of prophecy, the head, that was Babylon. And Babylon ruled the world from 605 to 539 BC. The second was the arms and chest of silver, that was Medo-Persia from 539 to 331. The belly and thighs of bronze, that was Greece from 331 to 168 BC. The legs of iron, that was pagan Rome from 169 BC to 476 AD. The feet of iron and of clay, that was the divided kingdom of Rome. But then God introduces something. He says that at the end of these kingdoms, Daniel saw this great stone that was tried the feet of this image and that all of these kingdoms are going to be removed from the earth and God is going to set up a kingdom at the end of time. Amen? So God's kingdom is going to be the last kingdom set up in this earth. 
Now we're going to go to Daniel chapter 7. We just read a few verses from Daniel chapter 7. I'll go through it very quickly, okay? Now, and now this is where God is going to marry the ceremonial service with prophecy. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees these four beasts coming out of the sea. And he said the first one was like a lion with two wings. It had eagle's wings to it. And we identified that as Babylon. So we know the time period from 605 B.C. to 539 B.C. Then the second was like a bear. It was lopsided because it re represented Medo-Persia. And it was lopsided in that Persia was stronger than the Medes. So per the, the, the higher side of the bear represented Persia. Then the third one was, uh, it, had, it, it looked like a leopard, and it had four wings on its back, and it had four heads. And we see that as Greece. Then the, the, the fourth beast, Daniel could not describe it. It's a nondescript beast. It came out, it did not have an appearance of any beast that Daniel knew or he could have understood. But all he talked about, it was the work of this beast. It was crushing. It was trampling upon things. It was destroying everything in its path. But he says that out of this beast, there are going to come ten horns. And those ten horns represent the breakup of the Roman Empire. And out of that ten, one was going to rise up and is going to take a place in this earth. And that is going to continue to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we see the ceremonial service of judgment introduced. And God is going to elaborate on this and then give us another timeline by which we would know where we are in prophecy and God working out his plan of salvation. So if you take a look at the, 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 the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, Rome divided, those are all earthly things. That deals with the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms. But when God introduces judgment, that's a heavenly that's a heavenly action. God alone is judged. Now let's take a look at Daniel chapter 8. Daniel sees this, this ram pushing with, uh, with, with two horns on its head. Then he saw the he goat. Then he saw this, this, this horn that rose up that he came to call papal Rome. And then the judgment scene is now emphasized and it puts the, the second timeline in the plan of salvation. So let's take a look at it. And that is the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. So let's take a look at it. Now, as we go into the book of Daniel chapter 9, let's go to the book of Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to see how the two, the ceremonial service, and we're going to take a look at the prophecies of the book of Daniel, how, how God had, the Bible, had Daniel merge the two together. Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to, Dan, sorry, Daniel chapter 9. Okay? Remember, we're talking of definitive time now. And so now God is going to impose, as he presents the judgment scene in heaven, he's now going to impose a timeline in carrying out the plan of salvation that is now much clearer than we had seen it before. So let's go to look at Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27. And this we know as the 70 weeks prophecy. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now that most holy there, the only place you see the most holy referred to in the book of Leviticus deals with the most holy place in the earthly sanctuary. Amen? So he's introducing now an anointing of the heavenly sanctuary. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon you, the children of Israel. And you've got to bring an end to sin. You have to finish the transgression and to make reconciliation for your sins. To bring in everlasting righteousness, a seal of vision, and to, to seal up vision and prophecy, that is, ratify the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So God is going to now put a definitive time 
that we can understand where we are in the plan of salvation. Not just us, but the children of Israel. It says, Know therefore and understand. So this is when the time begins. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even troublesome times. And after sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now that's quite a bit we have. So I'm going to try to simplify it for you using this table. The 70 week prophecy of Daniel, we just read, the going forth to rebuild Jerusalem occurred in 457 BC. So when the decree went out, now there were two other decrees before that, but none of the decrees gave autonomy to the children of Israel going back to Jerusalem. This one by Artaxerxes allowed them to establish a form of government. Now, in 457 to 827, first, it was the return of the Jews to Jerusalem. It was rebuilding of the temple at Jerusalem because early in six, from between 605 BC and 586 BC, three times King Nebuchadnezzar invaded the, the kingdom of Judea, leveled the temple to the ground, literally burned it to the ground, nothing was left. So then when the Jews returned to um, to, Je to Jerusalem, in five, beginning in 539 AD, they had to rebuild that temple. But what happened, the, the decree went out in 457 BC. That is when Artaxerxes gave it. So think about it. From 539 to 457, the Jews were going back to Jerusalem, and very little was being done in the rebuilding of the temple. But God had a plan of salvation, and it had to. It had to happen. And what happened then, once the temple was rebuilt, they reinstituted the sacrificial system. Amen? Between AD 27 and AD 31 was Christ's earthly ministry. Okay? And then, in AD 31, Christ was crucified. In AD 31, Christ ascended to heaven. So now let us take a look now at going back to the ceremonial service and let us see how God marked our time in the plan of salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's take a look at it. Okay. So, we looked at this before. The 14th day of the first month, Nisan, Passover. Feast of unleavened bread, the 15th day of the first month, Nisan. Then the offering of first fruits, the 16th day of the first month. Nisan, uh, sorry, uh, Feast of unleavened bread came to an end on the 21st day of the first month. On the 5th day of the third month, it was Feast of Weeks. Now, we're going to marry the two now. Amen? Everything we just read here pointed to the Messiah. Amen? So, in time of eternity that we cannot understand, that Christ himself participated in, he had fixed the date for his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. From time eternity, as we look back at it, this is it. Christ was crucified on the day of the Passover, the 14th day of the first month. If you remember in the gospel, it was the day of the Passover. When Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the, the priest was in the temple offering up the evening sacrifice and the lamb, the, 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 the the knife fell from his hand. The lamb escaped. The veil, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. End of the sacrificial system. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Not only did he fix the day of his death, but on the 15th day of Nisan, this was supposed to be a Sabbath rest for them. When did Christ rest in the tomb? On the 15th day of Nisan, the Sabbath. Now, People say that we worship on Sunday. Now this particular um, feast here, look, look at how the wisdom of God. Christ was supposed to be resurrected on the 30th, not so? 
so on the 14th, piece of 11 bread, the 15th, and the 16th, and so on the 15th was the Sabbath, it was a ceremony on Sabbath, on the 16th was just another regular day. Amen? Christ came out of the grave on the 16th day of the first month, Nisan. God never told the children of Israel to observe it as a Sabbath first, the resurrection of Christ. Just in the ceremonial service, where we understand the ceremonial Sabbath and the seventh-day Sabbath, we can present to the world that Sabbath is the day God calls us to worship. Amen? To worship Him. So now, from, from the time eternal, the death for Christ is death, His day in the tomb, the day of His resurrection, and His ascension. But you remember, in, in the Old Testament, this feast was referred to as the Feast of Weeks. It was on the day of the Feast of Weeks that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is not referred to in the Old Testament. It is referred to only in the New Testament. So here, we have the plan of salvation, the timeline, two timelines coming together. One, the ceremonial service, and second, the first one, here comes the ceremonial service, and Christ, remember, every sacrifice, every feast in the ceremonial service pointed to Christ. Not so? You, we, we're going to go over it again. We've got time. You want me to go over it again? I want us to understand that this is a beautiful message. That we, we come to the timeline to eternity. So we can look back in the past, and what can we say? That the Christ that we worshipped, is the one referred to in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Amen? Good. Let's continue on now. The third timeline. Let's take a look at this. Let's go to Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. Third timeline. So the first timeline was what? The ceremonial service. The second timeline was the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. And the third timeline, we're going to take a look at it now. It says, Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. And it says, And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Where did we see the sanctuary? Not in Daniel chapter 7? Daniel chapter 7, the cleansing of the sanctuary. Didn't we see? Because in Daniel chapter 7, 9 to 10, it speaks, it speaks. Let's go take a look at it. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7, 9 to 10. I want us to see this, okay? Daniel 7, 9 to 10. It says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days were seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Judgment scene, Daniel sees in heaven. Amen. So now God is marrying the ceremonial service with a prophecy. Why? Because this event is going to be taking place in our lifetime. And so he gives us the 2300-day prophecy. Well, the first 490 of it was completed in AD 34. The second part of it ended in AD 1844. And during that period of time, during that period of time from AD 34, uh, the, there was a breakup of the Roman Empire in 8476. Then uh, Rome became ten divided nations. It was divided ten nations of Europe. It was the emergence of the little horn of Daniel chapter 7 verse 8. That was a system of worship that tried to replace the righteousness of Christ in the earth. The time is well marked out. He said it was going to be the persecution of God's people by the little horn, by the system of worship. It was going to be an attempt to change Christ or righteousness by the righteousness of a church. And, the, and it was going to be the birth of the Reformation churches. So God has marked up this time for us. So as we look back into the rearview mirror, we can see from, uh, from, the, from, from the giving of the ceremonial service, and we see that how it was fulfilled at the time of Christ, and now the, 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 the judgment of the sanctuary service and the old ceremonial service had to take place in our lifetime. There is a period of time we cannot fully understand the heavenly sanctuary. It is such a large topic, it's, it's so great.
But if we take a look at the ceremony of service, we get to understand God's dealing with humankind in the plan of salvation. Amen? There's a sacrifice, Christ, the better sacrifice. The water, the, 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 the labor, the regeneration by the Holy Spirit. As we walk into the, the, the tabernacle, the holy place, there is Christ, the bread of life. There's the, 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 the lamb, the lampstand, Christ, the light of the world. And then there's the altar of incense there. It is through Christ our prayers is bathed in the righteousness and sent up to, to, to heaven. And then on the other side of it, it was on the most holy place with the Ark of the Testament. Amen? So as we look at this time period now, let's take a look at it. We have to take a look at the autumn feast. How are they fulfilled? Because time is marked out. Not just to the, to the first coming of Jesus Christ, but after his ascension, these things have to take place. Amen? So then the Feast of Trumpets, First day of the seventh month of Tishri, it found its fulfillment from AD 34 to AD 44 with the global proclamation of Christ's return. They did not get the message correct, but they were energized by the message. They were looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we can take a look at Revelation chapter 10 and we can see the fulfillment of it. Because the angel told John that this message is going to be what? Sweet in your mouth but bitter in the stomach. That is the great disappointment of 1844. But it was a, a, a disappointment in 1844 with a, a second call to proclaim the everlasting gospel. So the day of atonement. So in 1844, that is the beginning of Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. The hour of his judgment has come. Revelation 14 verse 7. So we are living in what? The day of atonement. On the ceremonial service. The Feast of Tabernacles was one in which all the children of Israel, whatever part of the empire they were, they were supposed to journey to, um, to Jerusalem for the purpose of celebrating the deliverance from bondage and that they've got new homes to live in. We are looking forward to Jesus Christ and the time when he comes. And we have to look forward to it very expectantly, knowing that it's going to happen. Amen? Amen. We're living in a time of the judgment. We can look at history and see the fulfillment of it. Amen? So therefore, let us go to Leviticus chapter 27, 23, 27 to 32. Leviticus chapter 23, 27 to 32. And let us see what life should be like was for the children of Israel as they lived during the time of the judgment. Now, there is no more prophetic time after 1844. So what we have to observe now are the signs Jesus spoke about in the book of Matthew chapter 24. The signs. He says what? What, what are the signs we're looking at? Signs in the heavens and in the earth and in nature. Nations rise against nations. There's going to be persecution. We see these signs. Now, but he says that these are just what? The beginning of sorrows. There's going to be a period, a time of tribulation. So now what we are to equip ourselves with are the knowledge of what Christ says that would happen just before his coming. Amen? We're getting closer. So let us go to the book of Levit Leviticus chapter 23. We're living in the hour of his judgment. Leviticus chapter 23. Okay? And we're going to take a look at verses 20, 27 to 32. Okay? Do we have it all? Thank you. Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. We saw that in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 8. He said, it shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day. For it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does not work on that same day, that person, I, sorry, and any person who does work, any, who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. If you look in the ceremonial service, the ceremonial Sabbaths were referred to as Sabbath rest. 
And the Day of Atonement is referred to as a Sabbath of solemn rest. Okay? And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So then how are we to be living in this time of the Day of Atonement? The Bible tells us, number one, put away sin from our lives. Because we do not know when Jesus is coming again. Amen? And should we die before he comes, then any sin that we possess in our lives prohibits us from the kingdom of God. Amen? So number one, you've got to afflict yourself. Secondly, he says what? Uh, Christ is our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. There is no need to offer up a sacrifice any longer for our sins. We just have to come, uh, as John said, you know, if we sin, what we have an advocate before the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous. That's all we've got to do. So he's, he's ministered in the heavenly sanctuary. He's blotting out the sins in the heavenly sanctuary of those who have confessed their sins. Amen? It is supposed to be a Sabbath rest for us. Well, what does that mean? It is not just a rest every seventh day of the week. That we should rest in the provision of salvation God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen? We should not be walking around with long faces questioning, am I saved, am I saved? Grab the gift of eternal life as it is in Christ Jesus. He says, he that hath begun a good work in you will see it through to the coming of Jesus Christ. Salvation, I understand it, I believe I'm right, is a gift of God. We can work for it, we can earn it, we can buy it. It's a gift of God. But he calls us, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So as much as it is a gift, we demonstrate that gift, our acceptance of that gift by good works. And just a couple weeks ago, we were studying mercy and justice in the Old Testament. Amen? And what is mercy? God's goodness. God's kindness. God's love. God's compassion for humankind. And what is justice? He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good? To love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with your God. Amen? So at this time, as we live, we are supposed to, to arrange your lives in the context of the plan of salvation. The gift, appropriate the gift, and that gift, our works, would be a demonstration of our salvation. The belief in our salvation. Amen? Okay. But I'm proclaiming the everlasting gospel to a perishing world. He says, I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel of what? To preach to all who dwell on the earth. That's the work we're called to do. That's the, that, 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 in many ways, that reflects the, the, the trumpet sound on um, the, the, the feast, of, feast of trumpets. Let us be out there very busy telling people of the love of Jesus Christ and pointing them to a Savior who can save them from their sins. The world is in chaos right now. And they're looking for a solution in man. But none is going to come. Amen? The only one solution we have for this world is the love of God as it is in Christ Jesus. And Jesus asked the question, when I come, will I find faith in this earth? Let's be busy, busy, busy. As we encounter people, just comment to them. I just happened this week, I was in conversation with my landlord, and we were talking about something, I said, you know, it's going to happen either when I die, or Jesus comes a second time. I should look at me and she laughed. Then we can have a conversation. Let us be confident in the message that Jesus is coming again. And let us not be shy or afraid to tell people about it. They may mock us, they may scorn us, they may laugh at us, but let them know there is a God that loves his people so much that he's coming to take them out of this curse of sin. And it's heartbreaking to know it is his treasure. He's got to destroy the sinners who hold on to their sins. But he's doing it for those 
who by faith accept salvation as it is in Christ Jesus and live that life that he's called us to live. You know, it was Jesus in, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 20, verse 8, he says, you know, I delight to do thy will, yea, thy law is within my heart. Amen? Amen. So therefore, so we're to be looking forward expectantly to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So where are we now, right now? Let us go back. Um, okay. Let us go back a little bit to Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter se- 7. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. So where are we now? Sorry, not Daniel. I wanted, sorry. Revelation, sorry. Revelation chapter 13 is what I wanted. Sorry. Revelation chapter 13. So where are we right now? The passages of scripture I think we all should be very familiar with. Revelation chapter 13. Okay. Now remember, in the book of Daniel, we saw, in Daniel chapter 7, we saw the beasts. And what were those beasts? It was the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the nondescript beast. Is that correct? So let's go to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 13. Okay, so, Dan, so, so the prophet John is looking down now through the corridors of time. He says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horn ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So what are we talking about here? The rise of a worship system that would possess the characteristics of Babylon, idolatry. It would, uh, it would possess the characteristics of Medo-Persia, worship a man. It's going to possess the characteristics of Greece, denounce God, believe in philosophy. That is, the word of God is going to be thrown aside, and a man is going to be worshipped rather than the creator God. The word is naming that system of worship. I think louder than we as Seventh-day Adventists are doing today. You just go onto YouTube and just type up Antichrist. And it seems like the world is pointing to Rome. The Antichrist is sitting in Rome. That's where we are. But there's something that has to happen before the end of time. And let us go to um, verse 4. So the worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast... And they worship the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That time period was so important to God that he had Daniel noted twice in the book of Daniel and John five times in the book. 42 months, 1260 days, time times, and half a time. The fulfillment of that time prophecy lets us know exactly where we are in the course of human history. For 1260 years, from 538 AD to 1798 AD, that system of worship we know as Catholicism was a tyrant in the earth. It is estimated that through the persecution of the dark, during the time of the Dark Ages, anywhere between 50 to 100 million people were killed for their faith. And we're seeing its resurgence. We're seeing its resurgence because the Bible says, and the whole world wanders after the beast. We are in the closing days of Earth's history. And not only did it tell us the, of that 1260 days or 42 months or time times half a time, 
It identifies that beast. Let's go to the Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to take a look at verses 16, 17, and 18. He says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. It says, And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. It says, this is the, the, the passage of scripture I want us to look at very closely. Here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. What is important here? Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding. If we can understand the prophetic time that we're living in, we can prepare ourselves for the second coming of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand the prophetic time that we're living in, then we'll be wandering out. Jesus said that at the end of time, that the message would be such that Satan himself, that would descend as an angel of light, that in the possibly he would deceive the very elect. You're going to see men and women wandering out of this church. No wisdom. No understanding. Understand the message that this church has received. From 1854 to the death of energy wine, we're a good foundation church. Let us not be ashamed of it. She said, when you see the hands of the Reformation reach across the gulf to hold past hands of the papacy, when you see our nation, the United States, repudiates every part of its constitution, when you see that the hands of the Reformation reach across the abyss to clasp the hands of spiritualism, she says, know that it is near. We have seen two of those. As a matter of fact, I think a fuller repudiation of the U.S. Constitution is going to happen sooner than we think. But in 2014, Evangelical churches across the United States marched to Rome. The United Nations marched to Rome. The rabbis in Israel marched to Rome. The Muslims in the Middle East marched to Rome. And the whole world is wandering after the beast. And what is he doing? Let us address the environment. Let us address inequity. Let us address poverty. Now, all those things are good things. But where does Jesus want us to stand? Not on the universal level. Because through mercy and justice that he's taught us is something we practice in our everyday life. We pay attention to the environment wherever we are. We have the poor that need it. We don't need a universal path to become passionate. And that is why the world is going to want it after the beast. A very good friend of mine called me up and said, you know, this whatever it was on this environmental issue. And he was trying to tell me all the good parts of it. As brother, what do you think? There's just one work we're called to do. 
In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been sent in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Elegy White. Last event, page 45. This is the work that we are to do after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. We are not to be part of any universal mix. We have the message crystal clear. Both in the book of Matthew, when Jesus sent to the disciples, before he left, he says, going into what? All the world and preach the gospel. What? Doing what? Going into all the world and preach the gospel. What? Teaching. Preaching. And doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, I am with you, what? To the very end of the world. We don't need anyone else to tell us the, the work that we've got to do. In our little humble ways, just as the ordinary people do it. We're not looking for a pat on the shoulder. Jesus is going to put those stars in our crumbs for us. So the point I want to make to you is that God has marked a time in the plan of salvation. Will be on. And of what he has done, he has left his people not with a well-defined time for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but a time when we hold on by faith that we cannot see the end. But as Job was saying, though he may kill me, yet I will serve him. That is where we are, living at the close of by faith, all the difficulties, all the tribulations, all the temptations, pray. As Paul said, pray with us, he said. Fellowship one with another. And stay grounded in the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And we shall see Jesus come to the clouds of glory. That we can say, Lord, this is our God. We have 